you're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. Happy Mother's Day! This week, Pastor Tom brought us a message all about finding true freedom in his message titled, The Red Sea. Let's check it out. A good morning and happy Mother's Day. And a moment ago where Megan said, how many moms want a nap this afternoon? I saw a bunch of dads put their hands up and uh, it's good to know I'm not alone. So happy Mother's Day. I wanted to share a couple of Mother's Day jokes with everybody. Um, Now I need to warn you, this is highbrow, sophisticated, uh, some may even say advanced comedy, thanks to Google. All right, is everyone feeling okay with this? At dinner, a kid says, Mom, is it a good idea to eat bugs? Mom replied, let's not talk about things like that at the dinner table. We'll talk about it afterwards. After they'd eaten, the mother asked, now what was it you wanted to ask me? Oh, nothing, the boy said. There was a bug in your food, but it's all gone now. (laughs) A woman gets on a bus with her baby. The bus driver says, that's the ugliest baby that I've ever seen. The woman goes to the back of the bus and sits down furious. She says to the man next to her, the driver was just so rude to me. The man says, you go up and give him what's coming to him. You go ahead. I'll hold your chimpanzee for you. (laughs) This is a mom's recipe for iced coffee. Step one, have kids. Step two, make coffee. Step three, forget you made coffee. Step four, drink cold. A mother says to her son, I'm warning you, if you fall out of that tree and break both your legs, don't come running to me. (laughs) Now, this is the last one, and I'm going to tell you, I saved the best for last. This This is one for the ages. What do you call a mom who can't draw? Tracy. All right, thanks for laughing along. Make me feel better about it all. So today on Mother's Day, I wanted to talk about something that may not directly be, uh, you know, in the idea of, you know, motherhood or parenting, but I really sort of felt it was uh, good to jump into a topic, and the topic is freedom. And freedom, you know, here in America, it's a big topic for us. It's a word for us. It's an American value, but it runs throughout the Bible. Really, freedom is a biblical theme, which even predates what it would be here culturally. It is a biblical theme, and you'll see if you know the Bible well, if you know the biblical story well, you'll know that the idea, the the concept, and even the promise of freedom runs throughout the whole Bible. And the idea of freedom and liberty being these main cornerstone moments, these key aspects of Christianity, of the faith, of the message of the Bible, is that it is the opposite of being enslaved or imprisoned. It's the opposite of feeling trapped or limited or oppressed or confined or stuck, addicted, helpless. God's answer to all of that is to bring true freedom. When Jesus begins preaching and teaching during his earthly ministry, when he first starts off, he tells the synagogue in Nazareth that these words from the book of Isaiah are about him. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Captives will be released. Those that are oppressed will be set free. 
There's good news for people who know that they are trapped, limited, oppressed, confined, stuck, addicted, or helpless. The kind of freedom that Jesus promises. It meant that Paul and Silas could be stuck in a prison cell and still worship. The kind of freedom that we see in the good news of Jesus Christ is that the apostle John could stay faithful when all the other apostles were killed. It was the kind of freedom that meant Zacchaeus could leave behind wealth and repay the fortune that he'd stolen from people. It's the kind of freedom that would cause 3,000 people to be baptized on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 at the birth of the church. And as I was studying this weekend, thinking about this idea of freedom and praying through this idea of freedom, I came across this paragraph that I wanted to share with you today. The experience of freedom is not something we can bring to ourselves. Rather, it is the work of God. In order to possess freedom, Paul says Christ has set us free. Freedom is not to be found in the absence of God or his commands. Rather, it exists where the spirit of God is. Those who think freedom can be found apart from God are deceived. For anyone who promises such freedom not only cannot provide it to others, but they do not even have freedom themselves. This idea of freedom, massive thing in our lives. This promise of freedom that we have in the Bible is something that you and I should take seriously and something that we should come to want in our lives and want to experience for ourselves. In the face of living like we're imprisoned or trapped or confined, there is true freedom. And this is a verse from Galatians where Paul writes about this to the churches. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, specifically here, Paul is warning them about wandering away from the message of Jesus and instead trusting in their own ability to keep the Old Testament law. But in Jesus, we have been given freedom so that we can live free. And yet there continues to be the temptation to give up on freedom. We all have friends who were once passionate about the things of God, who are deeply committed to a life of faith and being a part of a church. They were living in freedom. And now they've wandered from faith and there's no indication of living for God at all. And this verse from Galatians, Paul is saying, you have been given freedom. So live in freedom. Stand firm against going back to the burden of slavery. You have been set free. You have been made free. You have been declared free. Now keep living free. Keep living in freedom. And it's easier than we like to admit that we can forget the role and the place that God should have in our lives. That's why Paul says, stand firm. The implication is that we can experience the freedom of God. We can experience the freedom that Jesus brings, and yet we can still very easily drift away from that freedom and back into living trapped, imprisoned, and hopeless. And this theme of freedom, it runs throughout the whole Bible, but one of the best passages and most well-known passages that speaks directly to this is very well-known passage of Scripture. Many of you all know it very, very well, and that's the crossing of the Red Sea. And the crossing of the Red Sea, or the parting of the Red Sea, or known as the Exodus, this happens uh, in the life of Moses. You can read about it in the book of Exodus, which we'll get to in just a moment. But at this point in history, the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And yet this people, even though they were enslaved, the whole nation was enslaved, they lived with a promise, a promise that God has unique plans for them. And Moses, he had an astounding moment with God at the burning bush. And he returns to Egypt to confront Pharaoh and tell him he has to release the nation of slaves. Pharaoh refuses to let the Israelites go, and this results in the famous 10 plagues of Egypt. But finally, Pharaoh let them leave and to be free from slavery. So the Israelites pack up, and they leave. And this is where we're going to pick it up in Exodus 14, starting in verse 5. 
When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. Now the Israelite slaves, they were responsible for the building projects. So their freedom would have come at a massive cost and an inconvenience to the Egyptians. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called upon his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore of Pi Ha'eratha. If you can do better, let me know. Across from Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Now the panic is warranted. They're not imagining a, a situation. They're not imagining a crisis. There is an ocean in front of them. There is an army behind them. There is an ocean in front that there is no possible human way they can cross. And there is an army behind them that wants to drag them back into slavery. The panic that they're feeling is warranted. It's not without merit. It is warranted that there be freak out happening. Verse 13, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself would fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and Israelite camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Now this is of course an amazing moment. It's no surprise that this has been the inspiration for many paintings, artwork, movies, is visually captivating. But he goes on, verse 23. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making the chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from the Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. 
all of the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. Now this is the greatest moment in the Old Testament. It's the centerpiece moment. It is directly referred to in the rest of the Old Testament dozens of times. It was alluded to potentially hundreds of times throughout the whole Bible. And for thousands of years, this has been recognized and this has been held up as a key moment in Jewish history. The deliverance is still remembered every single year at Passover. This event was monumentous, and it's correct that we treat it that way. This is an enormous, dramatic scene where you are faced with an ocean. There's an army behind you. A whole nation of people have been called out of slavery. We remember this moment and the fact that the Lord blew a wind and split the ocean and they walked through on dry ground and the enemy was destroyed. This is an enormous victory. It's an incredible spectacle. It is right that we remember this and honor this. However, for the nation of people who walked through the ocean, who walked through on dry ground, the people who were there, the people who themselves were once slaves and they got through onto the other side, the ones that saw Moses lift his hand with his staff, the ones who walked on dry ground, the ones that walked past with a wall of water on each side of them, the ones that got safely to the other side that could look behind and see the Egyptians being destroyed within one month, They had completely given up faith, completely given up confidence, and they wanted to go back to Egypt to be slaves. They were a part of the greatest miracle of the Old Testament. This incredible moment, I don't know about you, I've never seen an ocean split in two. If I did, I think it would change my life and it would get me thinking about a few things. But according to what we see here, and we'll read it in just a moment, it took a month for all this to be undone in the lives of the people, the people that have found ultimate freedom, God's ultimate display of rescuing people and delivering people into freedom was completely forgotten within one month. Exodus 16, starting verse one, then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sim, between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us out into the wilderness to starve us all to death. After one month, they forgot. After one month, they'd forgotten the pain of slavery. They'd forgotten the misery of being driven by brutal, cruel people to build kingdoms that they would never enjoy their entire heritage disrespected, no seeming identity, no value placed upon them by their culture. They are slaves that are grueling work every single day. This idea of there being all this food and all this luxury and all this quality is complete nonsense. They were mistreating slaves. But after one month, they'd completely rewritten everything in their heads so that now the idea of going back to slavery was more advantageous than continuing in the freedom that God had promised them within one month. And what I wrote down from this story that I think was helpful for us as we try and sort of see how this speaks to us today is that freedom is weakened by forgetting but is strengthened by remembering. Freedom is weakened by forgetting but is strengthened by remembering. And this is a theme that keeps being presented through the Bible. Here's another instance from Deuteronomy 6. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns that you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. Be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. And again, the inference is forgetting the Lord is much easier than you or I will ever want to admit. Be careful. Stand firm is what Paul said. Don't forget. Keep living in the freedom that you have. Remember the freedom you have. Don't forget the Lord. Remembering the Lord is essential so we can keep enjoying the freedom that we have in him. The Old Testament, it makes dozens of references to the crossing of the Red Sea. And the biblical authors, they keep it central as something to remember. And this is noticeably seen in the book of Psalms. And for those of you who may not be familiar with the Bible, the book of Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible. It's a collection of uh, songs or poems. There's 150 Psalms that are collected that we have in the Bible today. And I read this week that there are 14 of the Psalms directly make reference to and are hinged on remembering the Red Sea. Now, by my calculation, that's almost... 10% of all the Psalms directly link to the Exodus, to the crossing of the Red Sea. Now, five of those Psalms, they specifically rooted in the crossing of the Red Sea. The theme of the Psalm is the crossing of the Red Sea. So I thought it'd be helpful today as we consider this idea of how do we firstly enter into the freedom that God promises? And then how do we continue to live in that freedom? I thought it'd be helpful to take a dig in, have a look at the five Psalms that directly anchor themselves in the verses that we just read from Exodus. These are all based in hindsight. It's important to remember that the Psalms that are written, the Psalms we're gonna get into, they're all written hundreds of years after this moment. This is time has passed. And the biblical authors, inspired by God, have come to the conclusion, you know what? We need to remember the crossing of the Red Sea. We cannot forget this. If we forget this, it's not going to go well. We need to remember this. And so these are presented to us by people that are certain to tell you and I and people that will ever look to the Bible for wisdom, insight, instruction, guidance, commandments, anything. You need to remember the Exodus. You need to remember what God did that day. So we're going to go ahead and jump in. Everyone feeling okay? Alrighty, I figured out at the five Psalms, there are five things that we can see that are helpful. Five things to remember about freedom. Thing number one, to remember right freedom, remember to pass it on. Remember to pass it on. Psalm 78, oh my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. Now listen for the psalmist describing telling the story, teaching, children, and generations. You'll hear these come up over and over again. Verse four, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Not being like their ancestors, better than the generations that have gone before them, avoiding the mistakes that others have made, 
by not being stubborn, not being rebellious, not being unfaithful. The psalmist, if you heard that a moment ago, repeatedly said, tell the story, retell the story, share the history, teach the children, teach the next generation. And it goes on verse 13, for he divided the sea and led them through, making the water stand up like walls. The next generation needs to know the story. The next generation needs to hear about true freedom. Parents, if you don't define to your children in your household what peace, joy, and freedom is for your children, TikTok and Netflix will. You have a responsibility to define what's normal in your home. Spend any time talking to a high school student or a middle school student, and they will increasingly tell you how being normal in their life and in their experience does not lead to freedom. Last week I was up here and as part of another message, I kind of pointed to a, a bottle of water and said, you are a bottle of water. Right now this is room temperature. If I stick this in the freezer and it becomes freezing cold, it becomes a block of ice, I pull it out the next day. Given any length of time, it will adjust to room temperature. We will adjust to the temperature of that around us. If we don't want to be the temperature around us, if we don't want to be normal, we have to do something to not be normal. You have to put a bottle of water in the fridge, or if you microwave a bottle of water, which no human has ever done, because that would be nuts. But if we did that to alter the state of the temperature, that is what we have to do. Parents, if you do not want our children, our students, our teenagers, our young children, elementary school kids, to drift into whatever temperature the world around them is setting, we need to do something different. We need to tell the story and retell the story and share the history. We need to teach the next generation. We need to take advice from this psalm. We need to tell the story of God's freedom so that our children can live in freedom and not get themselves all wrapped up in what the world perceives as normal. Teaching and retelling the story of God to the next generation will always be essential. Teaching and retelling the story of God to the next generation will always be essential. This is both in individual homes as well as here at the church. Here at the church, we have a massive premium, a massive value, and we are passionate about next generation ministry. We're passionate about next generations hearing the story of God so that they can know freedom. Not so they can become little religious robots, but they can become alive and free in who they are in Jesus. On kids, on Sunday morning, we have a wonderful kids ministry happening over in the South Campus. The Sunday morning kids ministry is growing at a faster pace than main services. We are seeing more kids coming to be a part of our church than we're seeing big people come to be a part of the church. And I, for one, am okay with that because... If one person claps, we all have to. I'm okay with this because what we've told the kids team over and over again is that we cannot have a good church without a great kids ministry. So I am passionate about having a great kids ministry. This includes what happens right here on Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, there's boys ministries and there's also girls ministries that meet and they get together and there are wonderful role models that they're mentoring, shepherding, loving the kids that are able to come and given strong role models that they can look up to and ask questions to and build relationship and build confidence. Great stuff happens here on Wednesday nights. And then over at the Elizabeth Street building, we have our youth service happening on Wednesday nights. Dozens of students. If one person whoops, we all have to. Come on. Dozens of students 
come here on a Wednesday night and they gather together. And I hope from the bottom of my heart that as they gather together, that there is a sense of hope. There is a sense of encouragement. Because I don't know about you, but high school right now is psycho. And they are stepping into it every single day. And I hope they can come here on a Wednesday and they can get hope. And they can get lifted up and they can get encouraged. They can get a pat on the back that they can dust themselves off, get up and do it all over again the next day. Because it is tough out there. And these students are doing it one foot in front of the other. One thing that is 100% sure for this coming generation is that their high school experience will be night and day different from what their parents experienced. It will be way different. The challenges and minefields they're walking into amaze me. And we need to be ready to do whatever we need to provide an environment where these students can find a place to ask questions, to stretch, to encounter God, and be faithfully told the story of the creator of the universe and just how much he loves them. We also have a wonderful school here at the church. Many of you will be very familiar with Word of Life Christian Academy. What you may not know is that we have close to 200 students that are a part of the school. That's amazing to me that there are 200 students that come here and are part of our school. There's an amazing atmosphere over at the school. Every couple of weeks or so, I just kind of get the urge, if you will, to just wander over to the school, to just pop my head into the classrooms and say hi. And I always leave the school and come back to my office with a spring in my step because the teachers and the staff at the school work tirelessly to make sure that it is a God-honoring environment over there. It is a joyful environment. It is upbeat. It does not come easy, but somehow they make it happen. I love going over to the school. Great things are happening over there. Kids are loved and nurtured and taught with a high academic standard. Great things are happening at the school. We also have our young adults ministry. Our young adults, of course, aren't kids and don't like to be treated like kids, but we have a 20s, 30s ministry. And if you speak to people that are generally kind of in that age bracket, kind of the older Gen Z and even into the millennials, there'd be a great conversation about how the need for authenticity and community. We hope that you find that here. We hope that you find, if you're in that 20s, 30s age bracket, we want you to find people that you can call your community. You can call your people. There will be people that you want to get alongside, that when you're having the worst day of your life, they're people that you know will lift you up and not tear you down. And when you're doing okay in life, you're in a spot where you can help lift someone else up when they're having a tough day. We hope for the young adults in this church that that is what they're able to find, some true community where they can be authentic, they can be real, they can bring all their questions, all their struggles, all their fights, and they can muscle through together. That is what we hope for for the young adult ministry of this church because teaching and retelling the story of God to the next generation will always be essential. Five things to remember by freedom. Thing number two, to remember by freedom, remember the importance of obedience. Remember the importance of obedience. Psalm 105, but the Lord sent his servant Moses along with Aaron whom he had chosen. They performed miraculous signs among the Egyptians and wonders in the land of Ham. The Lord brought his people out of Egypt, loaded with silver and gold, and not one among the tribes of Israel even stumbled. All this happened so they would follow his decrees and obey his instructions. Praise the Lord. Now the effect of disobedience, specifically disobeying God and going against what God would say and going against biblical values, it's completely self-evident that it doesn't work. I ended up having this conversation, it happened twice this week, met with some wonderful people and sort of just came from natural conversations just talking about life and the world and all that we're a part of and all these things. It just came up that it's one thing to say that God says. It's another thing when you realize God says because it's completely self-evident that not going that way doesn't work out at all. 
I can say for myself as a believer, as a Christian, as someone that loves God, as someone that's committed my life to following God, God says should be enough. God says don't do X, Y, Z, or God says do do X, Y, Z. That should be enough. But God in his grace, God in his mercy, has made it plain as day to see that not following what he says, dishonoring God, completely abandoning what he says, completely abandoning what he commands, completely abandoning his wisdom, his guidance, it doesn't work out. It is plain as day to see. If you don't believe me, just watch the people around you. I'm not saying judge them, I'm not saying be mean to them, I'm not being critical of them, I'm just saying just watch. People that have abandoned God, it does not work out. It doesn't, it's plain as day to see, it is completely self-evident. It's real easy for preachers to get up here and hammer the Bible and say, you worthless people need to do this. That's rubbish, I hate that stuff. But what I am saying is inviting you. If you don't believe that living God's way is the best way for a human to go through life, just watch, just look. People aren't happy just because they've run away from God. People aren't fulfilled because they've given up on their faith. People that completely disregard godly wisdom, it doesn't work out as they think it's gonna work out. The world continues to make promises that it has no intentions of keeping. And people that keep finding out over and over again, keep getting disappointed and disappointed because it is completely self-evident that the commands of God is what brings true fulfillment and true peace and the freedom that we're talking about today. God's motive for commanding obedience is for our good, not our detriment. Obedience honors God and rescues you. Obedience honors God and rescues you. Something that I've said to students many, many times, and there's a 100% chance I'll say it again, is you never know the pain you avoid by making a good choice. You never know the pain you avoid by making a good choice. Obedience to God shows that we trust him and his voice in our lives and that it's more important than anything else. And it shields us from the consequence and the inevitable pain of sin. One of the things that I say to my kids is, I promise it will go better for you if you listen to me and do what I say. I promise it will go better for you if you listen to me and do what I say. Their responsibility as kids is to do what I say. My responsibility as parent is to make sure I can make good on that promise. It's easy for me to say, it's gonna go better for you if you do what I say, but now I have a responsibility to follow through on that promise. You do what I say, it's gonna go better for you. God makes the exact same promise to you and I. It goes better for you if we listen to him. It goes better for you, it goes better for me if we obey him. Our responsibility is to obey, just like my little guys. His responsibility as the ultimate loving parent is to make good on the promise. Number three, thing three to remember about freedom. Remember God's power. Remember God's power. Psalm 106, our ancestors in Egypt were not impressed by the Lord's miraculous deeds. They soon forgot his many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against him at the Red Sea. Even so, he saved them. To defend the honor of his name and to demonstrate his mighty power, he commanded the Red Sea to dry up. He led Israel across the sea as if it were a desert. So he rescued them from their enemies and redeemed them from their foes. Then the water returned and covered their enemies. Not one of them survived. I wrote this down after reading that, is that circumstances cause us to forget the power of God. 
Circumstances cause us to forget the power of God, but circumstances don't and can't change the power of God. They can cause us to forget. It does not change the power of God. One thing I realized as I was reading this and thinking about this in light of the crossing of the Red Sea is they were faced with an ocean in front of them and an army at the back. We don't just need the ocean to open in front of us. We also need the army at the back taken care of. It can't be one, it needs to be both. When we see the power of God evident in our lives, that's what we need. We need him to open up the opportunities and the possibilities and the promise for the future, and we need him to take care of the past so that we don't get dragged back into slavery. That is the power of God. He opens up a future for you and I that we do not deserve, that we should not have, and he takes care of our past, the mistakes that we should have to pay the price for. That is the power of God. There's stories I've, I've heard many over my years, and there's a good chance you have as well, that prisoners that have had a chance to escape, something's happened, there's been some kind of incident where they've had a chance to escape, and the prisoners will refuse the chance to escape out of prison. An opportunity is opened up in front of them for freedom. This opportunity that, man, I could just walk out of here, and I could smell fresh air, and I could be out in the open, I could be out in public, I could be, do I'd be done with prison. But they know once the past catches up with them, they're going back and they're going back for even longer. There are stories of prisoners who will turn down an opportunity to escape because they know that the past will catch up with them. The Israelites knew as they were facing that in front of them, we couldn't just go ahead. We also had to take care of the Egyptians behind us to take care of the past. And that is the true power of God that not only is the future opened up to us, but also the past is dealt with so that we can proceed with true freedom. Verse 12, then his people believed his promises. Then they sang his praise, yet how quickly they forgot what he had done. They'd forgotten the Lord's power, the power to defeat the army at the back and the power to split the ocean in the front. The power of God at work in our lives keeps us seeking him. If we cannot do it ourselves, we are dependent on his power to work. It sets our eyes straight and keeps us free. And that moves us on to the next thing. Thing four, to remember about freedom. Remember, there is a future. Remember, there is a future. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom is not just an event, but a state that we're moved into. The freedom of Jesus positions us for a future where we can embrace and enjoy that freedom. Psalm 114, it helps us remember that there's a future by connecting Exodus and crossing the Red Sea with the crossing of the River Jordan that would happen in the book of Joshua. Psalm 114, the Red Sea saw them coming and hurried out of their way. The water of the Jordan River turned away. What's wrong, Red Sea, that made you hurry out of their way? What happened, Jordan River, that you turned away? Now fast forward and the Israelites a generation later stood in front of the River Jordan needing to cross this body of water. They didn't know when they were stood on the edge of the Red Sea that this was going to happen again. But the next generation knew the story. They knew that God has done this before. So we read this in Joshua 3. Joshua told the Israelites, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. Look, the ark of the covenant which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, 
and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Now it's easy to recognize straight away the similarities between crossing the River Jordan and crossing the Red Sea. It's easy to see the similarities. It talks about dry ground, the water standing up like a wall. This time, they knew that the Lord was able. They knew what he had done a generation earlier. They knew the last time they were faced with this problem, God came through and delivered them into freedom. Last week, we talked about David and Goliath, and we saw that David knew that God was able because he'd helped him take out a lion and a bear previously. After spending a time with Elijah, the great prophet Elisha was confident to be able to move on into all that God had from him and ended up seeing twice as many miracles as he had seen while working with Elijah. There is something about seeing and observing God work that sets us up to move forward. The victories of the past give courage for the challenge ahead. The victories of the past give courage for the challenge ahead. There are many people I've known, many people are part of this church who've broken out of addictions, a number of different things, whether it's drugs or drinking or gambling or all sorts of things. People have broken out of true addictions. And they're constantly remembering the stories of other people who've left addictions behind. Constantly encouraging themselves with somebody who found freedom from an addiction so they can move on in freedom. They're encouraged to celebrate every single step, no matter how small it may seem, in their own recovery. Because if we could do it yesterday, we can do it today. If many others have found freedom, so can I. I have a friend of mine who was a heroin addict. He tells for uh, 13 years, was a heroin addict. And he found faith and he found freedom by belonging to a church and going through some Christian rehab. And it really helped him and set him free. And today he's doing wonderful. But before he found faith, before he became a Christian, before he met Jesus, he tried going to secular rehabs. And he said it was awful. He said he hated it. Because there was a bunch of people just gathered around and all they did was talk about how miserable they were. All they did was just talk about how much they hated life. He says it wasn't until he became a believer and he started seeking Jesus in it that they started telling the stories. They started remembering. This person found freedom after years of addiction. This person found freedom from this thing. You did it yesterday, so you can do it today. It's remembering, it's telling the stories. The victories of the past give courage for the challenge ahead. And thing five, thing five to remember about freedom, remember God loves you. Remember God loves you. Psalm 136, verse one. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. Then goes on to recount the Exodus story. Verse 11. He brought Israel out of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He acted with a strong hand and powerful arm. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. He led Israel safely. His faithful love endures forever. It's all about the faithful love of God. Teaching and retelling the story of God to the next generation. 
means telling the stories of God proving and displaying his love towards humanity. Whether this is recounting a biblical story or a personal testimony, speak often about the love of God. A love that isn't able to be fully described, but it can be observed over and over again. The stories of people finding true, honest to goodness freedom. We talked today about remembering the importance of obedience. To do this means we believe that He loves us so deeply that He's given commands and direction and guidance and wisdom, not for our detriment, not to trip us up, not to hamper our lives, not to ruin us, but to bring us into freedom. It's not obedience for obedience sake. It's to honor God and to rescue ourselves because we will never know the pain we will avoid by making a good choice. We've talked about circumstances causing us to forget the power of God. When it's all falling apart, the one who loves us most is ready to piece it back together. Freedom for the future and freedom from the past. The one who's motivated by love and is uniquely all-powerful is working all things together for those who love Christ Jesus. The power of God is for me and not against me. The victories of the past give courage for the challenge ahead. Having hope that the one who loves me most is involved in this whole thing with me every single step of the way. Hope that God is in the middle of the fight today to bring about something good tomorrow. Hope that God's love doesn't run out just because I've messed up again. He loves me so much that when I need forgiveness, He's already promised to give it. If you've forgotten everything else, remember God loves you. The next generation needs to hear the story of God and hear about how He's worked in and through humanity. People need to know about the importance of obedience to God to avoid the pain and imprisonment that we don't have to go through. I want our church to be a voice of hope for the future. We should be cognizant of God's power in the middle of everything. But even if we've forgotten all of that, let's make sure that our starting point is His faithful love endures forever. Once we've remembered this, we can start hearing everything else. But this is His most accurate description, that He is love. God is motivated by love. The love of God is what truly changes hearts and minds. And how do we know God loves us? Romans 5.8, God clearly shows and proves His own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do we know God loves us? How can we have any confidence at all that the creator of the universe cares about me? How can I know God loves me? From Paul in the book of Romans, God has demonstrated and proved his love for us because while we were still sinners, while we were still messed up, while we were still lost, while we were still in slavery, while we were still complete and utterly ruining our lives, that's when Jesus died for us. Not when we asked Him for forgiveness. Not when we promised, not that we pinky swore that we were gonna turn it all around. Not when we tried to clean ourselves up. Not when we tried to break free. Not when we tried to make amends of all the past. Not when we tried to follow Him with everything. Not when we tried our very, very best to do our best behavior. No, when we were our absolute lowest, that's when God demonstrated His love for us by dying for us when we least deserved it. That's the message of Jesus. That's the good news of the cross. Five things to remember by freedom. Remember to pass it on. Remember the importance of obedience. Remember God's power. Remember there is a future. Remember God loves you. Teaching and retelling the story of God to the younger generation will always be essential. 
Obedience honors God and rescues you. Circumstances cause us to forget the power of God, but the victories of the past give courage for the challenge ahead. If you've forgotten everything else, remember God loves you. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I got a couple of questions for you. Hope you have a chance to write these down and maybe think about this this week, maybe pray about it, talk to somebody about it. The first thing is simply this, what's the easiest thing for you to forget? Is the easiest thing for you to forget to pass it on? Teaching the under generation, the importance of setting the standard of normal in your household. Maybe it's the importance of obedience. Maybe the easiest thing for you to forget is God's power is not shaken by whatever circumstance you're in. Maybe it's easy for you to forget that there's a future, that there is a need and a demand for there to be hope evident in your life. Or maybe you've simply forgotten that God loves you. And if nothing else, you need to be reminded of that today. What's the easiest thing for you to get? Second question, what do you need to remember? What do you need to remember? It's important to look to the Exodus story and of course the Bible as a whole, but it's also important to remember your story. What's your story of freedom? What's your story of rescue? Who can you tell about it? Who can you share about how God's moved in your life to bring you into freedom? How did God's power work in your life? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery.